we journey through episodes of Star Trek Voyager, your two hosts along this journey are myself, Garrett Wong, and my co-host, Mr. Robert Duncan McNeil. Wow, that was very dramatic. Wow. <laughs> and I wanted a really dramatic one. It was dramatic and it was kind of quiet, and it was quiet enough that you may have heard my stomach growling over. <laughs> so I hope that's a bonus feature for all of you who uh want to hear my stomach growling i think i heard it uh so don't do the quiet intros anymore because i i may have things happening that we want to cover up with loud intros and uh welcome to the delta flyers stomach digestion we're here at the season two finale of uh of voyager basics part one Yes. Our episode this week, and yes. uh, yeah, I'm. Ex- I, I can't believe we've gotten through uh, so many episodes already. So much that I have remembered and rewatched, and some some of these episodes I've watched for the first time. Uh, I I don't think I've seen a lot of them, and uh, so this has already been so much fun. Yeah, um, I just want to bring note to a tweet that I tweeted. I said. Yes. Um, I'm sitting in the living room watching Megan Elise edit the next episode of the Delta Flyers. And I hear Keely upstairs playing Roblox online with her friends and singing, my anaconda don't want none unless you've got buns, hun. So (laughs) she's singing baby got back lyrics. And then I put hashtag 12 year old girl chatter. Okay. Now, after I tweeted that Robbie, a fan then came back and said that he had alternate lines. Now you and Robbie McNeil have to sing that in lieu of a haiku or limerick next episode, or both preferably. And then he comes up with these lines, my balana don't want none unless you've got face tats, hun. Get it? Face tats. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. All right. We can, yeah. we can mix it up a little. Well, just so everybody knows in season three, Garrett and I will be swapping the haiku limerick assignments for season three. But we're going to try it. We're going to start we'll out. We'll try it. We'll try it. We're going to try it. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to hear your limericks because they're not easy. I'm just going to no. say they're not as easy as you got to be like relaxed. You just got to <sighs> just breathe, figure out the rhythm and the rhyme and try to make sense of it. I'm, I'm excited to see your limericks because the haiku can be intentionally obtuse. It can be simple and intentionally kind of abstract and and it still works it seems deep and you know uh i by the way i've been inspired we, I, we may have talked about this a little before but yeah we've been inspired by the haikus and uh just doing my own little personal haiku adventure so uh i'm really enjoying that i'm excited to get into season three as with the haiku assignments yeah it's really cool because you've actually taken this upon yourself to do this in your real life which yeah. is you know it makes me feel like, hey, I did something that yeah. made Robbie do do the same thing in real life, which is really, yeah. really neat. It's it's uh it's it's added to my life the haiku, <laughs> this uh yes discovery of the haiku and the beauty of the haiku has added value to my life. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, man. So on that note, maybe we should go watch Basics Part One, the finale let's, of let's Season watch Two. It. I'm excited. Patreon patrons, stay tuned for what do we remember. Back from watching Basics Part 1. 
How exciting. It was very exciting. Now I know why Paris left. I know. I was in that <laughs> moment. I'm like, oh my God, that's why he's not on the planet. Mm. And is he dead? That's the question. Yeah, that is the question. I, I talk I, about... I won't you know, know until we watch the next episode whether clearly. Paris survived or not. I, I will have no idea. Well, you know, I'm going to bet that he's still alive. I mean, I think I did more episodes, but I can't remember much. So maybe he died. I don't know. We'll have to wait till next week. They just kept sending a paycheck for seasons three, four, five, and six, and seven, even though that's, you were dead. That's yeah. the kind of job I want is uh, just because they like me. Kim had a shrine to Paris for the rest of the season. There you go. Um, well, I just want to begin by first saying that this episode before we went to Lone Pine, we received a memo. And when I say we, I mean Robert Beltran, Tim Russ, and myself received a memo from the production I, office. I remember this, yeah. Yeah. So I just, for those of you who don't know, I'm going to say this story now. This memo essentially said, Tim, Robert, Garrett, um, we want you to know that we have we are concerned that we will be on location and we'll be staying in Lone Pine. And we're just very concerned that the Lone Pine population may be ambivalent towards those who are not Caucasian. <laughs> yeah. There, yeah. So therefore, they recommended that if we went to town to eat or to grab a drink that we would not go by ourselves, that we needed to be with a group of people to sort of in, help ensure our safety, which I thought, wow. I mean, at that time it was 1997, I guess, or 90, mm -hmm. yeah, 90, 96, 97. And I was thinking, are you kidding me? Is this for real? But I did make a joke. I, I was joking around with, with Beltran. I said, we, the three of us, uh, Tim, Robert, and myself, we should go to the local saloon and just kick open the door and say, welcome, this is your new mayor, the treasurer and the, of the city, you know, and just sort of like say that, make the announcement that we were, we were going to start it, running things. It is kind of crazy, though, that the studio and the producers felt like they had to let people know, let you guys know in particular that this is a rougher town and, you know, may not be safe. Yeah. I mean, I think they did send the memo to... I feel like everybody got the memo that this, you know, is a rougher town and just don't go by yourselves anywhere. I think, I feel like everybody got that. Oh, I, was it? Okay. I, I think I, so. Hmm. I think it was for everybody, but I think the conversation to you guys, to, to, to people who were, you know, uh, ethnically diverse, you know, whatever, brown people, <laughs> yeah. Asian people that weren't <laughs> Caucasian, that, yeah. uh, on top of it just not being a, a a very safe place to be, you know, by yourself, that you could encounter some racism and you could encounter some prejudice and you could encounter. I think that I that's what I remember now that you bring up that story is that yeah because I think everybody was sort of warned, hey, you know, stick together. It's a rough town. Um, nothing against Lone Pine now. I don't know how it is now, but certainly at that well, at yeah. that moment in time, it was maybe not a safe place to to wander around by yourself. So. I would have protected you though. If I had been there, <laughs> if I had been there, dude, I would have, I had your back. Okay. Oh, 
Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I know you would have. Yeah. But I just, I don't recall it being a message to everybody. I, I thought it was specifically sent like it was to, to us. The... But if you, if you saw it too, that's great. Yeah, um, I, I feel like the crew got a mem- the memo and everything. But I do, I do remember them saying, not only is it not a safe place, it's a place where they're uh, not used to a diverse looking group of people like our cast and our crew were, yeah. uh, were a diverse group of people. So I think that's something and, that's amazing about Star Trek, you know, just to jump on that subject for a second, since the beginning of Star Trek, since Roddenberry cast the first show, the original mm-hmm. series, mm-hmm. it has been, uh, you know, a, a show of inclusivity of diversity of, you know, there was no other show on television in 1969, uh, or 68 or whatever year the first the original series started it was 66. no other 66 there you mm-hmm. go no other show on television that looked like star trek no not no. even close no so uh, it's always been kind of ahead of its time and uh i even found in this episode a lot of the kazan i mean you know maj kala and the kazan's attitude towards women has always been consistent of you know this yeah. chauvinistic uh, misogynistic sort of attitude that the, mm-hmm. the Kazon had, but for some reason it jumped out at me even more, probably because he backhanded the captain. Yes. And, you yes. know, and, and the way he spoke. And I was like thinking, wow, how ironic that on the show, the Star Trek show with the first female captain really making a point to put women in leadership positions that that character was was behaving that way. I think it was intentional mm-hmm. that they wanted to show sort of a contrast between who Star Trek is mm-hmm. and what this particular group of aliens' attitudes towards women was. Yeah. It's much more primitive, much less enlightened and uh, ignorant attitude. Yeah. Um, but just to, to add to what you were saying before, yes, Star Trek is definitely since its inception in 1966, it has been the most inclusive. But when you say IDIC, that is the Star Trek reference to infinite diversity in infinite combinations, right? So that is something that um, has been espoused by Roddenberry and um, people afterwards. So it's Mm -hmm. always been about inclusiveness. And just just to update everybody on what happened when we got to Lone Pine, once we got into town, we went to the, to the local, whatever it was, the, the restaurants that we ate at or, or or, um, any place that with the 7-Eleven, the convenience store, we didn't see anything like that. So nothing, no one got called names, you know, so I guess it was just a precautionary move on the part of production because I just felt it was a really small town mentality and mm-hmm. kind of maybe possibly could have issues, you know, um, but uh, I'm going to say for part two, something that did happen that was a little scary at the very end of filming of basics part one and part two i'm going to save that for part two so okay all right okay all right right. so uh we've got to summarize our our episode with a haiku and a limerick now so uh here we go you want to give me your haiku first Uh, yeah okay here we go a haiku for basics part one seska sends message mission to rescue baby it's really a trap whoa whoa nice you like that you nailed it if that's what it is that's what it is all right i'm so excited to hear yours i okay i have to give credit to rebecca jane 
for this limerick. <laughs> uh, sometimes I get a little stumped and uh, intimidated and she saved the day. So here we go. Uh, credit to Rebecca for this limerick. Here we go. Yeah. Chakotay is his baby daddy. Suter is still acting caddy. Tom leaves to save the day. Voyager's taken away. Maj Kala is really quite happy. Thank you. Well, thank Rebecca. <laughs> Rebecca, you nailed it. She nailed you, it. Yours. <laughs> I'm going to give her that wished... one more one more ride just for fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hear it one more time. Chicote is a baby daddy. Suter is still acting caddy. Tom leaves to save the day. Voyager's taken away. Maj Kala is really quite happy. There you go. <laughs> it's good. It's good, right? It's worth it. Yeah, it's good. Double dip. You saw my tweet to uh, say happy birthday to, to Rebecca. Right? I, did. I included I did. the whole the uh -huh. master of limericks kind of a, you know, thing in there. So um, that was good. I, I'm, yeah. I'm very appreciative of Rebecca's brain power. <laughs> Me too. In helping you. <laughs> Me too. All right. So this particular episode, yes, uh, was written by Michael Piller and uh -huh. directed, yes, by Rick Colby. So. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. I, yes. And, and Rick Colby, by the way, I got to say, it was so refreshing to see him on a big episode like this, doing what he does, what he, you know, did best with us, um, shooting beautiful, dynamic, compelling shots. I mean, yeah, you know, when, for example, when the whole crew is being taken hostage and, and, you know, herded up his, his approach to filming that was so effective. It was mm -hmm. so you know, you felt like a member of the crew just being herded together and claustrophobic. Mm. And I just think over and over again, Rick did a phenomenal job with the way he uh, shot this episode. It was it was beautiful. It was a great episode. I agree. It looks fantastic. So uh, we start out with Suter, which I had forgotten Brad Dourif was in this episode. Uh, obviously, he's in part two because he's left in a very important place. Um, but... Yeah, that opening shot of him with, you know, working on the plant. And I was just like immediately, you know, drawn in, immediately excited uh, about the episode. Brad's such a great actor and his character uh, is just is so good. So, yeah. So Suter genetically engineers the Tuvok orchid. Which That's is so nice shot. to sort of and so redeeming for his character to be so grateful and you know, seems to be, um, you know, rehabilitating in a lot of great ways and mm -hmm. doing really well. And Tuvok takes a real, you know, paternal, you know, care of him. And I thought mm -hmm. that was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And you're right. I forgot about him too. I'm like, oh my God, he's still on the ship and yeah. well, confined to quarters, but he's still there. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Like, yeah. Later on when we see him in his quarter or when Neelix comes in and he's just stuck in the quarters, I'm like, God, he's been stuck there all these episodes. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I know. Crazy. I know. But he had a lot of time to mm -hmm. work on the uh, orchids. And of course, that's the reason why he was doing that is not because most murderers like to work on flowers, but because of the mind melding with Tuvok. He's mm -hmm. taken on some of Tuvok's um, interests or hobbies, right? So yep. that's why he's doing that. We go to the bridge and there's a message from Seska, which again, I thought Rick Colby did a great job of shooting this, you know, uh, this, this message from Seska in such a great authentic way that it felt like it felt very compelling, you know, the, mm -hmm. the static look of it, the, the energy of the shot, 
her performance was very compelling and obviously, you know, leaves Chakotay in a very tough place. In such a tough place that he goes back to his quarters to uh, utilize the vision quest, uh, Akuchimoya process. He does the old Akuchimoya thing. Mm -hmm. Right before that though, I gotta say in Janeway's quarters, he talks with Janeway and um, it was it was a reminder of two things. Rick Colby, the way he stages scenes with actors moving constantly. You know, he didn't mm. do a lot of big wide shots and then just cut to a close up. It's yeah. like one shot leads to another. The actors are moving. Uh, Janeway was up high and then down low. And um, so I thought the staging and the sh filming of the scene was great. The other thing that came to mind in that, Janeway and Chakotay close talk a lot. Like Janeway mm. gets right up next to him and is like, Chakotay. Like there's a lot of whisper close talk. <laughs> it's like, why, why do, do people do that in real life? Well, they do now after they've been stranded on a planet together I due guess to a so. bug bite virus. Now they're used to it, right? He's yes. already massaged her back and they've already, they've already clasped hands. And he's already told her kind of that he loves her. So yeah, he should have told her he loves her. He should have. Instead, he said he knows what true peace true is. True peace is, yeah. Yeah. Peace in his native yeah. language is love. It's love, exactly. <laughs> okay, so he goes into his dream, Akuchimoya style, mm -hmm. and uh, dad Talks. gives him a lesson yeah. on, on unconditional love, on family. Yeah, because his issue, what he's struggling with, is unwanted pregnancy. He said that he, this was forced upon him, you know? Mm -hmm. And then his father uses the analogy, or at least this, tells him the story of some of their ancestors when the you know, Caucasians came in and, and murdered or, or they came in and raped and pillaged. And basically um, a lot of the women of the tribe ended up giving uh, birth mm -hmm. to children that were half invaders and half, you know, theirs mm -hmm. basically. And, and what did they do with those children? They accepted them and loved them like they were their own. And mm -hmm. one of them ended up being a, a fabulous or a great leader. Yeah. leader. Yeah. Yeah. So then we go into the briefing room to talk about what we're going to do as a team. And I loved when you stepped up to the monitor and you were like, excuse me, doctor. And you cut him off. <laughs> and, and then later on we hear Look. his voice going, uh, can I say something now? <laughs> you turn it back. You look at the look on the doctor's face when I say, excuse me, doctor. He's like, he, he gives us one, not as wide eyed as I just did, but yeah. he, he kind of like, he steps back a bit, which is kind of yeah. funny, you know, for, for him being a program to act yeah. like that, but it is what it is. Um, Kim suggests echo displacement so that um, it looks like ships are coming to our aid as one way to uh, fool the Kazon attack. Mm -hmm. um, the doctor comes up with another suggestion of creating a holographic illusion of friendly ships, which is really interesting as well. Mm -hmm. um, did you notice anything about your hair? <laughs> My hair was very puffy. In fact, I was going to... I was going to say, why didn't I get a haircut before this I, episode? I, it was extra long, but it was also, it was curled in a yeah, weird way on yeah. the sides. Did you notice that? I, I definitely like, noticed my hair this? had a lot, a lot to contribute. 
to this yeah. episode. Yeah, there was a lot of hair going on. I didn't know what was happening. It was, I was a little confused. David Hasselhoff style. Or it was, I don't know. It, it was, was so Baywatch. I was like, what's he doing? It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, do you, you remember, you remember feathered hair back oh, in yeah. the, yeah, back in the, would it be 80s? 70s, yes, late 70s, 70s, late 70s, 80s. early 80s. Yes. Like Fair Fawcett would, that's what your hair looks like. It's got yeah. a little mini feather going on. I know. And I thought, did you not get a haircut? So they ended up having to feather you? I, I feel I like it was a little long. And so it got a little poofy. Yeah, yeah I definitely yeah. noticed a hair, you know, as we do every episode, there's some hair thing. Yeah, we talk about happening. hair. Hair mm -hmm. is a big part of Star Trek. So it yeah. really is. It really yeah. is. Okay. I'm glad you saw that too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I really loved in the sick bay. So we beam over this uh, Kazon. We beam him over and he's dying. He's injured and it looks like he's about to die and the doctor's able to save him. And he tells Chakotay uh, this whole story about um, Seska and Majkala and what had happened. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a really interesting angle that Rick Colby, he filmed Chakotay kind of behind him in a close-up. Oh, so yeah. Chakotay was sort of turned away and listening and and very um, suspicious and dramatic. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was, you know, a very unconventional angle for us. It reminded me that I remember Rick Colby was always very intentional in trying to be edgy. And, yeah. and his style was much more modern than a lot of the directors on our show tended mm -hmm. to be. Um, Rick always did interesting things. And I just, I found that to be really interesting, that, that story. And sort of it was pushing into Chicote, but from behind him, kind of mm -hmm. off to the side. And it was just very interesting. So yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, that was a really cool camera move for sure. Um, one thing I noticed, the the Kazon that we beam aboard that's almost dead, his name is Tierna. So when he's on the bio bed, did you notice that on that close-up of Tierna, when he's kind of when they when he's telling, he begins to tell a story. Did you notice his teeth? No. They actually discolored it. It's like the first time I've seen, because typically when we have alien races on yeah. Star Trek, they've got all kinds of, you know, prosthetics on their head, wigs, and, you know, yeah. you name it. But their teeth are still very human and very white, you know. And, but this guy's teeth were completely discolored. They were discolored and they were, um, they just, they looked more of like what Kazon teeth should look like. And I was right. shocked. And I kept oh, thinking, interesting. is that? you know, the makeup department having extra time on their hands and they were like, let's just, just do his teeth too. Or is that really the decaying, the decaying teeth of the guest actor? <laughs> Maybe he had bad no, teeth. No, I'm know. sure that they, I'm sure they, they did dis, yes. discolored them. Yeah. Um, I, I am wondering something now that you mentioned this, mm. I feel like Neelix had dentures. I mean, I mean, I know he did. Yes, he um, did. And I remember he used to always sort of like spit pop them out, them out spit yeah. them out. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was his uh, thing. That was his thing. I remember that. <laughs> but of course, oh, as a yeah. series regular, they're going to have more money to do teeth for an alien. Yeah, they did you know. dentures that had the mm. the for, the Ferengi or not the Ferengi, the Talaxian sort of teeth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So now we head to engineering. Before we go there, I thought this was an interesting moment for me. The doctor talks to Chakotay and Chakotay just is very suspicious of all of this. And the doctor says, you know, I can't do a lie detector test on him. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because we need a baseline. And without a baseline, I can't tell you if he's telling the truth or not. Yeah. But the doctor does say, you know, 
if it makes any difference, he was about to die. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he really, that part of his story is true. He was yeah. about to really die physically, right. scientifically. So maybe right. we should believe him, you know? Yeah. And uh, I felt like that was a very important little detail, but, you know, if we had been more cautious or suspicious about Seska's story and about this Kazon story, we wouldn't have gotten into our situation, you know? So that mm -hmm. was a moment of like, okay, feels like we're verifying that he's telling the truth by this, you know, what the doctor says, which turns yeah. out to, you know, he's, he's going to kill himself later in the episode. Anyway, he's going to, mm -hmm. you know, he's a suicide bomber basically. Right. So, so right. part of his cover was to actually be near death so that yeah. they, you know, could, uh, yeah, the whole, the whole plan was very clever. So, yeah. So after the doctor tells him that, Chicote still doesn't believe it. He heads to engineering, and mm -hmm. then he wants to get more more evidence. And he mm -hmm. asks Kim and Torres, you know, what's what's the uh, what's the status report? And Kim and Torres report that they found nothing unusual with the evidence from the from the Kazon shuttle. And everything looks like his story is checking out at this point. Also, uh, Janeway Tuvok says, "Oh, can you come down and talk to Suter?" And yeah. so Jane, Janeway goes down to talk to Suter about the. Um, you know, his, his um, hybrid, you know, um, plant mm -hmm. and the research he's doing, he, he wants to do more research and he needs some more tools and some more equipment. And he says, you know, it's nothing that's dangerous. And he really sincerely sort of begs for this. And she says, well, let me think about it. She doesn't, she doesn't agree. And he loses his temper. Yeah. See that, you know, you see that, oh, he's still got the crazy side. He's still creepy. He's still got the potential for, you know, serial killer in him. So, so I thought that was a really, really interesting. And I just felt so bad for him. Later on, Neelix brings in some soup and he's just sitting in the dark. You know, Brad Dorf was so good. So perfect for this role. It's also, we, we keep getting attacked, you know, by the Kazon. We, mm -hmm. we choose this path that looks like everything, you know, adds up. Right. You know, Neelix, Neelix says, yeah, this is, he's telling the truth. That's a smart yeah. path. Neelix tries to trick him, but it, you know, it is the truth. And then he pulls up some code that, that shows the, the, um, you know, the trap, the net of, you know. Uh, the Nystrom defense net. The Nystrom defense net, exactly. And yes. it, it does show. So, you know, a couple other things sort of add up and uh, there's nothing absolutely certain that this is a smart move for us to to continue um, mm -hmm. on this you know um, this rescue mission for Chakotay's yeah. child but yeah things continue to sort of add up and then we start getting attacked by these little Kazon ships and they mm. they keep hitting the same spot and that yeah that definitely is very suspicious and I I wanted to know what is a starboard ventral what is they keep saying they keep hitting our starboard ventral yeah. What is a star? I mean, I'm I fly the ship. I should know this. <laughs> what is it? a ventral? Is it, it's a vent of some sort. Yeah. Or maybe that's sort of the ship's, you know, crotch area, like you know, the 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 really <laughs> Yeah, maybe the ventral. <laughs> yeah. The really, really sensitive part of the ship. Uh, yeah. Is what it is, the starboard ventral. It's very sensitive because they yeah. keep hitting it, which ends up yeah, um, you know preventing Janeway ultimately from doing the self-destruct sequence because that's that's what they've been doing but she, they don't get yeah. it yet that that's they're kind of setting them up to uh, to steal their ship 
Um, definitely. Maybe we can use that terminology, Robbie. Is that possible? Ventral? Yeah, just like in, in public, like if someone's harassing you, you're like, back up, man. Don't make me kick you in your starboard ventral like that. Interesting. You could do that. Yeah. And, yeah. and then confuse that. Attack. Or you know what? Oh, I really got to go. Is there a starboard <laughs> ventral anywhere? Something like that. Yeah, Jesus. I like that one better. Okay. See, yours is more passive. Mine wasn't aggressive. Yeah. Mine's <laughs> like, I got to go to the bathroom. I like it. Where's the I got to release ventral? my starboard ventral. <laughs> yes. Okay. All Who right. cut the starboard ventral? <laughs> oh, Robbie. Yeah. You're the one that wants to go to the starboard ventral. Um, exactly. By the way, Neelix does deliver some soup to suitor. What, what kind of soup, Robbie? Leola root soup. <laughs> soup. That's his specialty. Leola root soup, Leola root stew, Leola root pasta. Is he loves the Leola root? Yes, he does. Clearly, the rest of the crew hated it because no one ever said a good thing about his food. So no, they don't. It had to. It had to have been okay though for us to keep letting him cook. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we're heading through, and then all of a sudden, these warships show up. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, because we, we're reversing course, yeah, reverse we, course. That's when they chase us. Yeah. Yep, we reverse yeah. course. She's like, let's get out of here, turn around. Yep. There's those ships, I think eight of them. Something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Kim uses echo displacement to show Talaxian ships coming to our aid. Yeah. And then yeah. we utilize the doctor's uh, suggestion of the uh, holog holographic projections of these Talaxian ships. And of course, that humorous moment where the one of the third ship that's supposed to come in to help us out ends up being the doctor being beamed out into space. Which yeah, was that was funny. that was very, very funny. Well, especially yeah. coming on the heels of like she gets annoyed with him because he keeps <laughs> asking all these. Yeah. He's like panicking, getting really neurotic, asking a lot too yeah. many questions. Yeah. She's like, shut up. Would you just. Yeah. <laughs> and then. Uh, by the way, I and think Bolana and the Doctor are a very funny combo. I would have liked to have seen more of Bolana. More of that, yeah. They were, yeah, they're very, what an odd couple they are. And yeah, I thought that little scene was very funny. I agree. Then he gets beamed out yeah. into space and the battle, well, the battle's begun. Yeah. 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 And and then that scene with the Kazon sort of saying oh. prayers, he like, he put a hand to one side and the other. And yeah. I was like, what the heck's going on there? Yeah. Um, and then he just peels his toenail off. He you know? peels his toenail. Oh, my God. He peels the toenail off and then pulls, like, magically pulls a, a needle or something out of the toenail, which I don't know yeah. where he hid that in the toenail. Yeah. Um, and he's a living bomb. Like, whatever he shoots into his bloodstream blows him up. It's that's not science. I don't think you well, can shoot anything into your blood and blow yeah, up. Yeah, but you do remember earlier when he was getting a checkup by the doctor. Yeah. The doctor was like, well, everything seems to look, you know, everything seems to check out fine, except for the fact that I have elevated levels of, and he listed some oh, yeah. chemical, which it sounded like some type of gasoline derivative. And um, and I think that's what whatever he injected into his bloodstream that, that then the yes starter. that was exactly that that was what caused the the reaction the explosive reaction with the with the stuff that was already in the system so you so. put some toenail juice into your <laughs> into your elevated levels of gasoline and you're gonna blow up so all of you yeah. out there don't mix your toenail juice with your gasoline i yeah i kind of wish that 
he took it from someplace else on his body because like was, i just don't i don't want to be reminded it was just i don't want to see a toenail being ripped off and i also don't want to be reminded that that so many species in the star trek world are bipedal species yeah. where they're like, both you know what i'm saying like yeah, he has the a, same a, number Kazon, of toes as us yeah. and, and he's got toenails, kind of toenails too toenails. yeah I know. I know. he's just he's just a rust color that's the only thing different you know and it's yeah. like uh, maybe if you pulled it out of uh, look there's so much stuff going on up here in the hair area right like there's literally uh a, you, you could hide that little needle anywhere in his hair he just yeah. should have pulled yeah. it out of there he didn't need yeah. to, to pull pull his whole toenail i'm with off. you i'm with you yeah. He pulls it off, he blows up, and now things are falling apart. And that's when Tom Paris says, Captain, let me save you guys. I'm going to take a shuttle all by my big boy self. I'm going <laughs> to fly back to those Talaxians and get a little help. And and he's off, and he goes. And, yeah. and then they start shooting at his shuttle. You took and the sporty shuttle, by the way. It was the more the sleek sport. one. Yeah. It was the, the sporty shuttle, sporty spice. Mm, um. Yeah. I took Sporty Spice, but I it wasn't fast enough. I got it appears that I got uh, blown up, and there was some debris because later on they say, you know, let's check the debris trail, make sure there's no warp signature. Yeah, they might be trying to trick us. So yeah, they, they did sort of tip the hand. That but that was Seska saying that. Remember, Seska, like, so, yeah. And it was such a it was such a couple dynamic where she, she kept reminding him and make sure you sh are, are you sure he's dead yeah. and he's like fine and make sure you check this he's like Ugh. he's rolling his eyes the whole time and it was just it's the classic you know arguing mm -hmm. couple kind of thing mm -hmm. uh, but yeah but you uh, evidently are dead but we know better you're still alive yeah. somehow somehow right? I th I have a feeling I'll I'll be alive when it's all said and done. Yeah. Um, Janeway says, let's evacuate this thing, but uh, she can't just self-destruct the ship because they kept hitting the starboard ventral, which now it makes sense. Um, <laughs> Seska and all those guys appear and she's like, you know, yeah. hold your fire. Yeah. And they sort of give up. And then Seska lied to Maj Kala and said Chakotay had basically raped her. Yes. You know? Yes. And, and you can see Seska's kind of sheepish look. Uh, to mm. Chicote because mm -hmm. he's pissed off. He's like, "That's not what happened." Chicote says, "But uh, correct, you're gone now, um, physically, uh, emotionally. Also, emotionally, you are gone. You're not even <laughs> there. Nope." So this, this is the point where, when the first Kazon come on the bridge, I refer to this story in our interview with the stunt coordinator. That, uh, that we had in our special interview. Dennis stuff Danger Madalone. Yes. Dennis Madalone, who we interviewed for our Patreon patrons. Um, he and I, we related this issue, this story of, of the first Kazon not really holding his plasma or his phaser rifle very aggressively <laughs> so we this, this was, was the scene, scene. yes oh, where funny. we had oh my gosh i mean it was it was comical i mean the way the guy came in and he, he was just literally like pew pew i mean it was just the worst <laughs> i mean it just it and then dennis getting frustrated with each successive take where there was no change like he kept directing him no you hold the way 
you hold the weapon like you mean it, you know, like you're really going to be, you're, you're taking these people out, you know, you, this is not some picnic or walk in the park. I don't know what you're doing. And the guy kept doing the same thing. And it was just, so, oh my God, he, he couldn't take it. And then this scene is also, once they force us down onto our knees, Yeah, this was the scene where one background Kazon guy was overzealous with Tim Russ and he kept shoving him in the back the back and and tim kept getting pushed forward and then he lost it tim just went he looks up at the guy and says just once like that he, he said to the guy you know you don't keep shoving me 15 times you know oh how funny just once and the guy was like oh okay this was also the scene robbie when we were filming boy you had a lot of excitement oh this scene is filled with yeah there's three stories that come from this the yeah. kazon extra that that ran in that didn't know how to hold that was really more passive than aggressive mm -hmm. then the kazon extra that was overly aggressive shoving tim russ that he actually got pissed off and then during this, when we were filming this entire bridge sequence, it was raining cats and dogs. And Los Angeles, it's sunny for the most part, rains every now and then. But once in a blue moon, each year, I would say there's like two weeks of nonstop cats and dog raining. And yeah. this was the time that this was going on. Wow. Okay. And so when it rains a lot, guess what? For us, they end up put, putting these pallets, these wooden pallets down in between the trailers so we oh, can not. Oh, that's so, right. Remember that? That's right. So yeah. we wouldn't walk into these, these puddles deep of puddles. water, deep puddles that would kind of well up because of the rain. So we would get on these, uh, we walk on these pallets. And I was actually being, you know, they said, okay, we've got the shot. We're moving on to the next sequence. Uh, we're moving on to the next scene, still on the bridge. So we were sent back to the trailers. And I remember I was, I, I kind of like took one step onto the pallet and the shoes that I had were not mine. They were the hand-me-downs that Brent Spiner wore on Next Generation. I talked about that before. And I slipped, I slipped on the pallet and I, I kind of fell forward oh and God. landed on my knees really hard. Like oh, I was like, oh, I remember God. this. I was yeah, in such pain. I was yeah. hurting. I was hurting. So then when they put us down on our knees, you know, the Kazon then kind of lift us up or, or yeah. tell us to get up to take, to take us to the cargo bay. I was getting up very slowly because I very, because my, my, I, my knee was hurting so much. My, my, um, raising myself up was very, it was a very gingerly kind of move. I was like, okay, I'm going to, get up and tim made fun of me because he didn't know what happened to me he was like what, are, what okay old man he said something like that where he was you know making fun of my my very slow movements to get up right. and then so like i said tim got pissed off dennis madlone got pissed off and Boy, i got guys, pissed off i should have been there because i could have you would i could have you know what you would have all this out, out. I could have yeah, made you everybody are, feel good. You know why, Robbie? Because you're the actor whisperer. You've always been the actor <laughs> whisperer. You've been able, as a director, you do it. And as an actor, you did it for us too. And you weren't there. I wasn't there and everything fell apart. Oh my God. I got so angry at Tim. Yeah. And that was the day that the decision was made. I said, I said, this is because you guys don't have enough funding to buy me a pair of shoes that have a tread. The yeah. shoes would get, they would put these kind of, rubber soles on early in the series and they would get worn out over time like any pair of shoes yeah and they would become just slippery flat rubber yeah. so i can imagine if there's anything yeah there's no there weren't any treads there was no um no traction or you know and they and they just get worn out and people wouldn't look at them and 
and yeah. notice it. And so, yeah, yeah. In, a, in a situation where it's raining or whether we're in a scene where there's debris or things like that, you know, um, yeah. jungle set yeah. or something, it's they were not very um, sturdy shoes. No. Okay. All right. So back to the, back to the, uh, back. Okay. To so the they take over, they herd everybody together. Mm. Um, I thought it was very interesting. Seska starts breastfeeding on the bridge. It just, <laughs> uh, you know, they take over Maj Kola sits down in the captain's seat. Yeah. Uh, we see the doctor is hiding. He almost gets caught. Suter yeah. has escaped, but mm -hmm. we know he's, you know, somewhere eventually we find him up in the, uh, the vent system. Yeah. Um, yeah. The shots of the herding uh, the crew together, I thought were great. Rick Colby did a great job. Yeah. The extras all really did a great job. Our background players and, and Maj Kola lands the ship on the planet. Now, mm -hmm. I think I had already landed the ship once myself. So at least I was still the first one to land the ship, but he seemed, he had, he walked on the ship, didn't even know it very well. And landed. Yeah. so it sort of takes away from what Paris did to, to be a big deal. It's like, oh, well, if some stranger can walk on and land the ship, it must not be that hard. So, okay. I'm just going to say too easy. Now I think Seska somehow got the manual, you know, she, uh, maybe, maybe Jonas, she you know, must have, yeah, sent she the must manual. Have used Tom Paris's uh, plan notes. Yeah. Notes. Yeah. That, that's sure what they was. did. So I'm, it, I'm not going to, it doesn't lessen your landing. Your landing was still very impressive, Thank you. Thank but you. it did seem a little easy that these, these, backwards Kazons are able to land yeah, so easily. Okay, bit. so we're on the planet. It's the Hanan or the Hanan system is what they said mm -hmm. is where we're mm -hmm. at. It's an M-class planet that uh, Chakotay surmises is in the Pliocene state of evolution. So it's uh, That's why we see a dinosaur. Early. That's why yeah, we, we see, see a caveman. That, that little worm creature dinosaur, yeah. which uh, I do remember that is the reason why uh, one of our recurring actors ends up getting eaten by that creature in the next episode so oh really oh <laughs> uh, don't spoil it for me I okay i won't spoil it. it i won't okay. spoil it i won't spoil there's it there's a caveman uh, there's a dinosaur i also yeah. like that you know alpha team with me beta team with me harry goes gamma team gamma team yeah and then neelix goes delta team delta with team. me delta team <laughs> like, neelix goes everybody everybody who's gonna look for leola roots with me Delta team with Delta Neelix. Team. Yeah. How did he get like a leadership role here? And like, you know, like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is we were filming this. What I remember is when Janeway says the line before we break up into team, she goes, and then we'll, we'll reconvene in two hours is what she says. And then at that point, I don't know if it was me or Beltran, somebody goes, how are we supposed to know what two hours is? We have nothing. We don't have our tricorders. We don't have anything on us, right? That's and then true. Belt Beltran started doing the Native American thing. He's like, uh, when this when the sun reaches uh with cast a shadow on the rock over there like that and That's we started funny. he started doing this whole That's bit very right? true we were, no oh, technology we, were so happy. we had no technology That's funny. um so we continued uh robert beltran continued with that joke for many many years and That's but it would funny. evolve it would be like instead of when the sun casts a shadow on that rock, he would say when the sun casts a shadow on that rabbit like he would like make various you know <laughs> changes to that uh version of, of robert uh, always had hilarity. a way of like finding something it would, it would be very funny and then he would run with it for like two years yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well we all did could, we all, we did, all did yeah 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 we all did but he had yeah. some runners for a while Robert, he did. You know, he, mm -hmm. his, they would change over time, but 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then we, uh, we know that Suter is still on the ship. We do see him up in that vent system kind of hanging yeah. out and we see the doctor all alone feeling, yeah. you know, poor doctors, everybody's gone. Um, Rebecca said, you know, well, at least Suter has a lot of people to murder now. So, <laughs> so he's going to be busy. Well, well, she's right about that. That's uh, not to be a spoiler, but that's kind of what ends up, he what? ends up being a secret, secret weapon. Yeah. So I know, isn't it great? That's uh, it's kind it's of very cool. exciting. I can't wait mm-hmm. to see season three's premiere. And mm-hmm. uh, did you have a theme for this episode? This was a tough one for me. Yeah, it. let me let me let me hear yours. My theme I'm... was that you should always verify before you trust someone who's proven to be themselves to be a liar. Because hmm. we sort of didn't verify. We kept going, well, maybe like I think Chicote's instincts to be cautious and suspicious were right and he sort of got pulled along with, you know, the dream with his dad and the doctor kind of saying, well, you know, I, I can't guarantee, but he was going to die. So like all these little things, but he never really verified that this, this Kazon was telling the truth, that, that Seska was telling the truth, that any of it, they, they, they ended up getting in trouble because they didn't absolutely verify known liars. Um, so hmm. that would be my theme is, is, you know, when someone has proven themselves more than once to be a liar, verify first before you trust. That's your lesson to take from this. That's and you know lesson. what? You know what that reminds me of. Wasn't wasn't there a story of the frog and the scorpion? Wasn't that the one where uh, the scorpion says to the frog, um, "You know, I need to get across this this river." I oh, I think it was get, a yeah, something like that. Is it a frog or am I am I getting the animals? I wrong? thought it was a snake and something else. Yeah, but the, the snake, bottom line was snake the, needed a ride or something like that. The scorpion, scorpion is the one that needs the ride, and the other the other animal. Let's say it's the frog. The frog says, nah, "I can't trust you because you're going to bite me." And then the scorpion goes, "No, no, I just need your help across the river." And then he keeps pleading, and then finally the scor- the frog agrees. The frog takes him all the way across. And once they get across, the scorpion bites him. Yeah. And the frog is like, why did you do that? You know, I told you, you know, you said you wouldn't. And the scorpion said, well, that's my nature, you know? So it's almost yeah. like, that's kind of what you've hit upon in your lesson. Is yes. That, um, yes. That's, the, that's a similar a, theme to me yeah. is, yeah. is when someone has proven, you know, shown their stripes to you mm-hmm. more than once, assume that they're a scorpion. Right. You know, I'll go with that. I like that too. All right. All right. Well, next week we're going to be back with season three's premiere and your first limerick. So <laughs> I'm excited. Basics part two and part two of my Lone Pine story. We have, yes. we'll have that, which is great. That involves Kess, Tuvok, and myself. We're, we are the three players in this story. It's a okay. Okay. Coming up in our bonus material, we've got Martha Hackett joining us to talk about basics part one. Stay tuned for your bonus material, Patreon patrons. But everybody else, thank you. And uh, we'll see you next week when we see talk about Basics week. Part 2. Basics Part 2. Can't wait. <laughs>